Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Now, broadcasting live from the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center, Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. Armstrong and Getty. Celebrating 25 years of radio excellence. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Inaction has decimated America. With the stroke of a pen, Texas Governor Greg Abbott signed into law what ACLU dubs one of the most radical anti-immigrant bills ever passed by any state. Senate Bill 4 is now law in the state of Texas. SB 4 creates a new state crime for illegal entry into Texas, gives local police the power to arrest, and judges the power to remove violators. But the problem is far more than just numbers. Well, it sounds dramatic to say the strictest laws ever passed by any state. Well, states aren't supposed to pass laws about a federal issue like illegal immigration. But the point is the federal government is doing nothing about it. So I guess we'll try. And as we talked about earlier in the show with Tim, the lawyer, Tim Sandifer, you know, this will probably get hung up in the courts. But there is a chance that the Supreme Court says the federal government is actually not addressing something they're supposed to address, and so we'll let the states do it. There's a possibility that could happen. By the way, something. Back on December 5th, two weeks ago, 12,000 migrants were encountered at our border. I don't know who decided to use this language, migrants encountered. Illegals crossed most of the time getting in and staying here. 12,000, that was the highest ever in a single day. A record back on December 5th. Two weeks later, yesterday, Fort. 15,000 encountered at the border. A new record, everybody. Nice job. 
setting new records regularly for illegal immigration. Unbelievable. As we often do whenever we're talking about this topic, we turn to the Center for Immigration Studies and a variety of people we've talked to over the years. And today we're going to talk to Stephen Camerata, lead author of a report saying the majority of immigrant households use welfare. I would like to know more about that. Stephen, welcome to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Thanks for having me. So what can you tell us about uh, who uses Because one of the arguments, well, there, there are two arguments. Uh, one of the arguments for closing down the borders is that the people come across and they, uh, they drain our resources and cost taxpayer money, taxpayers money. Then colleges come out with these sophisticated studies and say, no, they actually contribute to the economy more than they take. So what have you found? Yeah, so, okay, uh, a lot of times people say different terminologies. A couple of things. Um, when we talk about immigrants overall in this data, uh, the first number, 54% of all immigrant households use one of the major welfare programs. A lot of it is the non-cash programs like food stamps and public housing and the earned incomes tax credit and all that sort of stuff. Um, so when we're talking about that, we look at the fiscal impact of immigrants on the United States, all the taxes they pay and all the services they use, that looks to be negative. One of the things you have to decide, though, on that, just methodologically, is what do you do with children? Um, so a person has a child who's enrolled in school, and that child's on Medicaid, and that child is receiving free lunches or is on the WIC program or what have you. Um, how do you count that since the child was born here? Uh. If you want to make the immigrants not seem like they're a fiscal burden. You just exclude all that. And you say, none of that matters. Yes, the parent is not able to provide for the child. So the child technically is getting the food stamps. The child is on Medicaid. Right. The child gets WIC. But none of that, that's all counted for native expenses because the child was born here. If you count the children of immigrants with the young children, their dependent children, if you will, with the immigrants themselves, you usually end up with a negative number. That doesn't mean that the children will not grow up and be um, uh, at least average. That doesn't mean that, but it means right now and for the foreseeable future, the immigrants and their kids are a net fiscal drain. Now, one other point, if you want to go a little deeper, I'll just play this. Because they, we live in a society that's unwilling to tax itself for all the things that we want mm -hmm. and that we borrow so much money, that's also another factor to consider is that the average person is basically in fiscal deficit because we're not willing to raise taxes to pay for all the stuff we want to give out at the federal level. At the state level, where you have to have balanced budgets, uh, whenever you do a calculation, immigrants are unambiguously a fiscal drain, paying less in taxes than they use in services if you count the kids. Now, on the final point, the economics, which I won't go much into, there's no question that uh, the U.S. economy is hundreds of billions of dollars, actually well more than a trillion dollars larger than it otherwise would be because we have so many more people in the country. Whether that is a benefit to the native-born, whether that increases the per capita GDP in the United States, totally different questions. But there's no question more people 
means a bigger economy, more economic activity, more laborers, more consumers. That doesn't mean you're richer, because if all that mattered was the aggregate size of the economy, well, then people would say that Bangladesh is much richer than New Zealand, because it is, its economy is much larger. Right. Well, of course, what matters is per capita. When we look at per capita GDP or per capita income, it doesn't seem that the native-born population benefits very much from the immigrants. Ah. But the immigrants do benefit, and that's something to consider. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, that was a great lesson the last few minutes in the great Mark Twain quote of the three kinds of lies. Lies, damned lies, and statistics. (laughs) I mean, because obviously you can use a lot of those statistics to make arguments whatever direction you want to make. But that's really interesting stuff. Well done. Um, And I also think... I don't know how much of it is when you when you see people's reaction to immigration, and I don't know how much you want to differentiate between legal immigration and illegal immigration. Obviously, we got a ton of illegal immigration going on right now, but I think people see you know in their schools, you got a bunch of people that don't speak English, and their schools struggling to deal with it. Your ER is the regular hospital for a lot of people who are here who don't have any sort of. Uh, healthcare or insurance, anything like that, and clogs. I mean, there's a lot of gumming up the works of systems that weren't designed for this. Isn't that where a lot of people's attitudes come from, do you think? Sure, sure. I mean, people don't know the statistics. Here's what you get. Again, you get 54% from the survey of income and program participation shows of immigrant households using one or more welfare programs. We estimate that it's 59% for illegals, but 52% for legal immigrants. I was going to ask that, yeah. Yeah, both are very high, and the illegals can like receive more, receive, uh, use more programs, but the legals can use programs that get more benefits. So it's a little bit complicated. But the short answer is they're both really high. Let me let me tell your listeners this though, so that they don't have to leave with that. The rate for the native born is thirty nine percent. Yes, that's right. It's extremely common in America for the native-born population. And, and you don't want to know what it is in California? I mean, in California, it's, it's even higher. It's 41% for native-born households use one or more of the welfare programs. And even if you say, you know, you might say, well, which programs? Can you exclude some and get a difference? Yeah, you can exclude the free school lunches and breakfasts, but you still get 35%. And in California, you still get 53% for the immigrants. You still get, uh, for the illegal immigrants, you get 56%. And for the legal immigrants in California, excluding the free school lunch program, you still get 53%. No one program drives the numbers. They're just using a lot of programs across the board. And again, native welfare use is very high, and immigrants is higher still. And California kind of is the tops. They're the most, one of the most generous states. Um, now, the, Generous. The question, I like the word generous. Yes, they're generous. Right? Well, <laughs> I'm glad well, I'm being so generous. I didn't realize yeah, I had a choice. Right. That's right. You're being generous. Um, the other thing to remember is people say, well, wait, how can the illegal immigrants get so much? The short answer is, I can run through it quick. It's the U.S. born children. They can receive anything. Also, not all programs are barred, like free school, lunch, and WIC. Anyone can receive those programs. Um, also, a number of states, including California, provide Medicaid even to illegal adults. And, of course, all their U.S. born children could get it. And there are other states that provide the food stamps. Um, also, because 
We give out, I know this sounds shocking to people, we could explain it, we give out work authorization to illegal immigrants. So they're technically illegally in the United States. They're called inadmissible aliens, if you want to know the term. But we've given them social security numbers so they can work. But this allows them to access cash benefits from the earned income tax credit. You don't pay any federal income tax if your income's low enough and you get sometimes a check for four or $5,000 from the government. And yes, illegal immigrants can and do get that check because they have the work authorization. You know, they're, they're just, okay, so they're just so you understand that that happens. Now, that's not all illegal immigrants. Don't get me wrong. Sure. That's what happens. Well, and just to make it clear, I mean, we always say this. I don't begrudge anybody doing this. Man, if, if you if you knew you could get in and have a kid in the United States and what the path that's going to set them on, I, hell yeah, I would do that. Um, right. And, and look, the other that's right. Look. We have no evidence that's probably happening, but that's not what drives the numbers. No evidence this is fraud. And let me tell you something else. 83% of immigrant households have at least one worker. 94% of illegal, immigra- of illegal immigrants. It's 83 for all immigrant households. And it's 94% for illegal immigrant households have at least one worker. The comparison with the native-borns is 73%. Whoa. But work... Yeah, work and welfare go together just fine. All the programs we've been discussing, you can get the earned, well, the earned income tax credit is for workers, but you can get WIC and free school lunch and live in public housing and be on Medicaid uh, and many other things, even if you work, if your income is low enough. So if you're like a family of four and you make less than 40000 a year, most welfare programs are, uh, are open to you. And in California in specific, the, the income thresholds tend to be high, so they tend to give you a lot, and, and, and you're eligible for just about everything. Uh, other states like Texas or Florida are more restrictive, but still, you can get lots of programs. Work does not in any way preclude welfare use. If you had to put this whole phenomenon in a bumper sticker when it comes to immigrant workers, it's there's a high cost to cheap labor. But it's borne by taxpayers. The costs are diffuse. They're borne by everyone, whereas the employer and maybe the consumer who's using the services, they get the benefit, but everyone has to pay. So so you get your lawn mowed for what you feel like is a really great price or house cleaned or whatever, but your taxes are are so high. Right. I, mean, I think that's that's the way to think about it. Exactly. And and so the short answer is, OK, but maybe we need these workers. But I would add one other thing, and that is that one of the things that's happening in America, one of the most troubling trends is all the U.S. born people of all races, black, Hispanic and white. We've seen this phenomenon um, sitting on the economic sidelines. That is, they neither work. Yep. Nor do they look for work, which means every unemployment number you see does not include right. them. So let me give you just one example. If we look at men who have only a high school education or less, in 1960, only seven of them were entirely out of the labor market, neither working nor looking for, men, looking for work. Today, it's 25%. So we have a new, millions of less educated Americans sitting on the sidelines. So if we really do need workers, my solution is that it would make more sense to let wages rise and help the working poor, and this would help attract Americans who are sitting on the sidelines back. But you'd probably need to reform the welfare system and especially the disability system. Yeah, a long right. explanation. A lot of these numbers reflect what happened is we reformed welfare and everyone just went on disability. Yep. I mean, that's, yep. uh, that's a gross, gross 
gross oversimplification. Hey, this is talk radio. That, that's what we do. Um, yeah, I got to interrupt you just because you hit us with a blizzard of stuff there. All of it really, really good, man. You're speaking our language. We cover those topics so often. And the number of healthy men who are who can choose not to work. I mean, when, when in world history have you ever been able to choose not to work as a healthy man? But you can choose not to work in our current society. You might have to change, based on all those stats, change it from the Center for Immigration Studies to the center of we're already a socialist country studies. Right. I mean, people have that misconception. There's really not. The extensive nature of America's welfare system is not that different than many Western European countries. I mean, the, the European countries differ. But that's one reason why, if you have a relatively lax immigration system, which our legal system is mostly based on family relationships, not skills, and, of course, illegal immigration it's not very selective at all. And so what the administration is doing by releasing so many people in the United States, that's the part I think the public still doesn't quite get. It's not that people, people are doing this in enormous numbers, slipping past the border patrol, but that's not mostly what's happening. They're being caught and then released, or they're presenting right. themselves right. at the border and being presented and being released under a variety of what I would argue is abuse of the law using parole and asylum and such. But the point is, um, that's what's happening. So if you had a wall that no one could ever get past between the ports of entry, it might not make that much difference. Right. At this I point see your point because, because yeah. they're being released. Right. Hey, we got we to gotta take a break. I really enjoyed your time. I'm glad we could get you on. We're going to talk to you again. Stephen Camarada with the Center for Immigration Studies. That was great stuff. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, he was good. We got to have him on again when Joe's here. Love that stuff. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So Nostradamus's 2024 predictions have been revealed. Brace yourself for more war and famine, says the New York Post. The New York Post is just so schizophrenic. They do such great journalism. And he, then crap. He was a French philosopher, uh, astrologer, not philosopher, a French astrologer in uh, 1555 when he wrote his prophecies that soft heads and dopes continue to read and then extrapolate into acting like he was predicting these, these things. And then even if he could, what difference does it make? Right. Nostradamus or stopped clockus, as I call him. <laughs> right. Uh, this year brings continued global strife, including war. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was afraid of. Including war on the seas, royal turmoil, and humanitarian disaster. So I thought we were going to have a year on planet Earth where we didn't have those three things. But damn it, he's predicting we will. His vision of the future was laid out in 942 poetic verses. What was the, where were those ads that when we were kids were always running on television? Could you get a book or a... Nostradamus yeah. predicted this. Yeah. And, he seems to have a moment every, uh, I don't know, five to ten years, and a new crop of soft heads spend their money on some garbage. Although, according to, the New York, to him. according to the New York Post, he did foresee the rise of Adolf Hitler, the assassination of John F. Kennedy. No, he didn't. The September 11th attacks and COVID. So, <laughs> Oh, boy. <laughs> Say goodbye to your money, fools. You're about to be parted. If your head is soft, enjoy that. Yes. 
Yeah, press on both sides of your skull. Any give there? Any give? Oh. Maybe you ought to look into Nostradamus. <laughs> Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash news. That's LifeLock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Now, broadcasting live from the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center, Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. Armstrong and Getty. Celebrating 25 years of radio excellence. The Armstrong and Getty Show. We'd like to welcome to the Armstrong and Getty Show, Mark Hamrick, Washington Bureau Chief Senior Economic Analyst with Bankrate.com to talk about a couple of different things on economics. Hey, welcome to the show. Appreciate it. Good to be with you, Jack. Thank you. So I don't know where to start. What's on your radar? Like, what do you, what do you, headed into 24, what do you think's the biggest thing going out there? Uh, inflation, uh, mortgage situation, consumer spending. What's, 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 the, what's, what's your headline? Well, aside from Santa's reindeer on the radar, uh, right. in terms of economic issues, uh, obviously inflation is the number one issue uh, for, let's say, 2023, but there have been sort of 
bluer skies here, which has been represented in improving consumer sentiment numbers. Consumer spending has been a little better than expected. The stock market at record highs for the blue chip averages. Uh, we're seeing gasoline prices down at the lowest levels in about two years. So it's been a pretty grim period over the course of the pandemic, to say the very least. Sure. And we've had a lot of volatility and surprises. But I think the prospects are looking better as we prepare to end the year. I'm a little, well, I don't know if I'm concerned or not, because I'm not, consumer spending isn't always a good thing. If spending if people are spending money they don't have and racking up credit card bills, that's not necessarily good for the economy. But we had that giant quarter over the summer where consumer spending was much stronger than we were expecting. It'll be interesting to see coming out of this holiday season if people were still feeling so flush or not. Ultimately, the question is, can the consumer uh, sort of resilience be sustained? And I think your point's well taken. You know, the average for the best qualified borrowers getting offers from credit card companies is now 21%. Uh, that's a very steep price to pay if you're among those who are racking up a trillion dollars in credit card debt. And the store card charges are, uh, on average, closer to 29%. Wow, 30%! Good God! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, obviously, very costly and, and to be avoided, which is why, you know, more often than not, you're, you know, using your own card at checkout in many of these chain stores. And the question they ask you first is, not whether you're having a good day, but would you like to sign up for their store <laughs> right, card? You know, right. So, but the main thing right now is uh, unemployment's at three point seven percent. That's remarkable. Virtually nobody had that on uh, their forecast nope. to be ending up the year. Uh, and the Federal Reserve not only has avoided raising interest rates at the last three meetings, it's now uh, forecasting that it could be cutting rates uh, three times by one quarter of one percent. 1% next year, which, by the way, would be reflected with lower credit card interest rates. But, you know, if you're accumulating a lot of debt, uh, you know, you're getting behind the eight ball on that. I feel like I've seen a couple of people in recent days, and I realize these sorts of headlines get lots of clicks, which might be why people say them. But a couple of different people saying there's a major real estate correction coming, going to be historic. But things are really, really weird because so many people are locked into these you know, 2.9% loans, you're not going to move unless you absolutely have to. Interest rates being where they are now, prices are at least around where I live, ridiculously high still. What do you think? Uh, I don't look for anything like that with the a residential housing market. The concern is really about office commercial real estate, and, and we're seeing that in process, and, and you know, that has implications for uh, the financial system and, and banks and uh, the owners uh, of, of those properties. But in terms of residential real estate, uh, we couldn't be uh, farther from the conditions that led to the great financial crisis and uh, the housing bubble in the mid-early 2000s because it was at that point where there was a lot of fraud going on with respect to uh, mortgage applications and processing. Uh, it was too easy to get a mortgage. There wasn't sufficient documentation. And we really did have uh, kind of a, a, a violent regulatory reaction to that uh, in the sense of overhauling the system. So that's not my concern at all. We have too little inventory, to your point, uh, which is why home prices have remained uh, resilient and uh, are still up 4% year-over-year year with existing home sales and the number we got today. Do you expect several rate cuts next year? 
that's the base case at this point. Uh, what we require for that is for, uh, let's say, if we only get three rate cuts of one quarter of 1%, uh, that requires the economy to remain sort of continuing to grow, if not at the average rate, uh, close to average, meaning we avoid an actual economic contraction. And that requires further progress with inflation, with the headline number on the Consumer Price Index rising about 3% year over year. But I will say this, Jack, and I think this is probably among the most important observations that I can make about the current state of the economy, and it's taken me a long time to get to this point, not only in the show, but over the course of the process, and that is that uh, there is some disconnect between what people see in the economic headlines where that where you know there's sort of this take that the economy is quote unquote good and what people have experienced right. leaving aside the recent developments and the reason for that is that uh, retail prices are essentially up nineteen percent compared to pre pandemic levels so if you had somebody coming to you and saying we need to essentially erase one fifth of your uh, spending resource, uh, your ability to spend, you'd say, well, that's among the worst things that could possibly happen to me. And that's been the experience, which obviously does most adversely affect those with lower and middle incomes as well. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people reporting on economics don't understand that the fact that the rate of inflation has gone down doesn't mean the prices have gone down or back to where they were before right. because that's what people feel and I, I i actually think a lot of people don't understand that uh, I, I agree which is why uh, we're trying to talk about it more to try to sort of bridge that divide of understanding and and sentiment and ultimately it's about empathy right in other words sure. Uh, you can't just keep whistling in the wind and, and not acknowledge the wind. Uh, and so I want to point out, if people are so inclined, my colleague Sarah Foster at Bankroy has written a tremendous piece in the last couple of weeks, which gets to the notion of what some, particularly in social media, dare I say TikTok, referring to as either the quiet recession and the silent recession. And that is what people are experiencing is, is this loss of purchasing power versus the technical definition of a recession, which not is, has not been met, but doesn't make those people feel any better, or maybe I just say all of us feel any better about the diminution uh, of purchasing power. Yeah, and, and obviously emotionally, if you're feeling something and somebody tells you, no, you're not, it makes you angry. Um, and when I, yeah. you, I fully understand, because we talk about this all the time, that the rate of inflation is, what, a third, a fourth, where it was at its worst. But if I take my two kids to, to Kentucky Fried Chicken and I spend 60 bucks for the three of us, I still go, oh, my God, I can't believe I spent 60 bucks at Kentucky Fried Chicken. Yeah, imagine how the chicken fell. Uh, <laughs> right, but, exactly. <laughs> it's like I'm not even the middleman. But, no, I mean, absolutely. And we've all had that experience where you go to maybe it's a sandwich shop or even to get a salad and, you get out of there and uh, and you're like, wow, how did that cost 20, 25 bucks for sure? How, how, how long do you think it takes for people to get used to where prices are? So even if we got back to 2% inflation, you know, the target, yeah. it's going to take a while before I'm not shocked by the prices of things. And I was not an adult back in the late 70s, early 80s, the last time we did this. How long does it take people to get used to new prices as a set point? I don't know that everyone will get used to that, uh, but over time, uh, barring any 
you know, sort of catastrophic economic developments that would include the likes of hyperinflation or, you know, an economic contraction that really does send a lot of people to the uh, virtual unemployment lines. It's just going to take, you know, a, a process and it's going to be different for everybody depending on their financial capability. For people who have, you know, well above, let's say, the average household income, you know, to them it's largely academic, right? But, but to, I, I would just say, you know, the, the typical household, um, I think it's going to take some time. And, and what is helping with this at the moment, just in terms of real-time data, is that wage growth is now outpacing the recent or current inflation rate. So that means sort of only with respect to real time, you are doing better. But that's also like, well, you got rid of your fever at the moment, but you also you know, still have some residual effects from the illness that you were recently suffering. Mark Hamrick, Washington Bureau Chief, Senior Economic Analyst, Bankrate.com. Thanks for your time today. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Happy New Year to all there, Jack. Thank you. Thank you, and you too also. Armstrong and Getty. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. 
Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I thought this was notable. New York Times, in this case, why the U.S. electrical grid isn't ready for the energy transition. They mentioned that there are really three grids, east, west, and Texas. Um, and that the idea that we're going to leap to solar power and, and windmills right now is utterly fanciful. It's ridiculous. It's going to take many years of, number one, uh, rebuilding the electric grid. Uh, let's see, there are enormous challenges to building that much transmission, including convoluted permitting processes, potential opposition from local communities. Um, and the fact that the electrical system was cobbled together over the century, over a century by thousands of independent utilities, this would be like tearing up and rebuilding the entire interstate, uh, highway system, essentially, for electricity. And the New York Times quotes all sorts of academics and industry people and engineers and Department of Energy people saying every transmission project is unique like a fingerprint facing its own challenges. So we need a large arsenal of tools to try to move things along. It'll be years and years and years. Yeah, all that stuff is so top down as opposed to the way the old system worked, like with electric cars, all the gas stations across the country were individuals who thought, you know what, it'd make good money in this town over on that corner is a gas station because a lot of people want it, as opposed to the federal government coming in and deciding where you're going to put charging stations, right? whether they're needed or not, whether it's profitable or not, completely different thing. And making the guess that if we build all of these charging stations at breathtaking expense, people will see them and say, boy, howdy, I want one of them electric cars. Deciding where they should be based on what they decide in Washington, D.C., as opposed to, like, I got a buddy who runs a bunch of convenience stores. He figures out what corner seems hot and puts a convenience store there. Right. Right. Uh, tapping into the nation's vast supplies of wind and solar energy would be one of the cheapest ways to cut emissions, but that would mean building many thousands of wind turbines across the gusty Great Plains and acres of solar arrays across the south. Uh, but many spots with the best sun and wind are far from cities in the existing grid. To make the plan work, the nation would need thousands of miles of new high-voltage transmission lines, large power lines, etc., uh, to understand the scale of what's needed, compare today's renewable energy and transmission system to one estimate of what it would take to reach the Biden administration's goal of 100 percent by 2035. 100 percent in a dozen years. Transmission capacity would need to more than double in just over a decade. And that's with all of those permitting and protests and environmental problems, the rest of it. Yeah. And again, I'm not against green energy. I'm staunchly for it. But the idea that pouring taxpayer money into existing technologies is going to bring us to that bright new green future by the year 2035 is a lie. Government is a giant slush fund. It takes your tax dollars and hands it out to people to get their votes and their support. So any claim that, uh, you know, some giant grant to green this or that is going to bring us to that 2035 goal is just dishonest. And then I thought this was interesting. Now, granted, this is the conservative Washington Times, but the number of people uh, that they quote and the uh, the breadth of agreement is striking. The headline is Biden's lofty EV goals face big barriers as federal funds flow to new chargers that Jack was just talking about. 
The Biden administration can't say how much pro- progress, if any, it is making on the $5 billion federal, federal initiative to build new EV chargers along America's sprawling interstate system, according to several government agencies. Are they going to be high-speed chargers, or are they going to be the things like you got in front of your uh, Target grocery store that you can plug in for two hours and get 10 miles? Boy, if that's uh, the case, you're going to find a lot of electric vehicles on uh, on the market. Three months old, two months old, for sale, for sale. So the administration's apparent absence of real-time tracking, they can't tell you how many they've built. They can't tell you how many they're going to build in the next you know, six months or whatever. Um, auto manufacturers and industry analysts question the feasibility of such a fast transition, in part because of the inadequacy of charging infrastructure. Market share of EVs continues to rise, reaching roughly 7% in 2022. But at, even at current EV levels, the current levels, which are a fraction of the two-thirds mark that the administration is eyeballing, the U.S. is woefully behind on installing public EV chargers. We don't have nearly as many as we need for the current 7%. Well, and Tesla is the biggest chunk of electric cars out there, and they already had the infrastructure. And now that every Tesla charging station is now practically full when I show up there, they run way slower. That when when a whole bunch of cars are plugged in at the same time, it's way slower, even for the super high speed Tesla stuff. So I am not optimistic about this short term. Final note: Administration officials say the current uh, the status of federal EV charging funds through this program have been difficult to track because the money has been being doled out to states to carry out individual charging infrastructure plans and has only recently ramped up in recent months. Each state submitted its own implementation plans for the fund and were improved on a, approved on a rolling basis. What does that mean? All states had their proposals approved by September of last year, et cetera, et cetera. So the White House and the Department of Energy really have no idea what's happening. Unless the government's going to start, like, uh, doing that whole uh, eminent domain thing and, like, uh, 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 taking land from people, you're not going to have charging stations in a convenient place like all convenience store gas stations are. Right on the corner, you know, busy intersection, there's one on each corner. You got a Shell, a Chevron, an AMPM, you got every corner's covered. They got, like, you know, a, a dozen slots to fill up with gas. Plus, it only takes you, like, two minutes to fill up with gas as opposed to every vehicle there needs to sit there for a half hour or more. But they're not going to be oh. able, but not, they're not going to be there. Like, if I want to go to a Tesla charging station and I'm in L.A. and I punch it into my computer, it's at the top of a parking garage at a mall, and it's very difficult to get to, and and, and off your path that's where they're going to be unless they do eminent domain aren't they how are they going to put them in easy right. to get to places right and and you know i don't have an electric vehicle i haven't charged one but what would the cost structure be what would the revenue stream be for that i mean given that you're having a single dock or charger or whatever occupied for half an hour typically do you think in an urban setting probably or suburban yeah. setting something like that yeah how do you make that cost work i don't know I mean, if you are running a gas station and it took every vehicle half hour or more to get 75, right, half hour at least to get $75 worth of gas, how many pumps would you have to have? Right. If you're making a fairly narrow margin on gas, which is the case. Uh-huh. I don't know. And, I don't see how it works. I guess you'd have to enter into an agreement. Now, on highways, I could see the federal government giving some sort of lavish incentive to all the loves truck truck stops and, uh, you know, all the big uh, truck stock companies. The only way it really works is if you charge at home. Now, I'm, I rent, so I, I don't have a high-speed charger at my house. I can't put one in. I don't own the place. Um, 
Uh, that's the only way you can really make this work. And if everybody's starting charging at home, then you still have the whole electric grid situation. But, you know, pie-in-the-sky predictions or goals, they get revenue. They get uh, government funding. And so they announce these uh, these goals, knowing that they're utterly fanciful. I'm going to lose 25 pounds by Wednesday. <laughs> Quick question for you. What if you happen to miss this unbelievable radio program? The answer is easy, friends. Just download our podcast, Armstrong and Getty On Demand. It's the podcast version of the broadcast show, available anytime, any day, every single podcast platform known to man. Download it now, Armstrong and Getty On Demand. from normal life healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity designed for women's unique retirement needs with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash Parity Flex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information.